all good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare provider, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you've found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Welcome everyone to episode number 25, how to create financial failure in building a group practice. That's right, we're close to Thanksgiving, it's near the holidays, so a healthy dose of failure I figured would be totally appropriate as we end the calendar year. That being said, we see a lot of different failures in group practices, some that we're able to help with, and frankly, some that we're not. And I wanted to share some of the lessons we've learned over a long period of time and hopefully help you uh, not be bitten by some of the most uh, frequent ones we see in a financial aspect. This will be a note-taking episode today. I promise you that, I give you my word. So I hope you got your pad and pen ready, brew another great cup of that meal of coffee we're ready to roll on the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. Once again, welcome everybody to episode 25, how to create financial failure in building a group practice. As I mentioned in the entry, uh, in, in the intro, excuse me, we do see um, what I'll try to be delicate and say is a lot of challenging situations um, with uh, prospective clients and some people who do engage us uh, for our consulting services. And usually the challenging situations that we encounter revolve around um, financial strife and, and specifically cash flow um, and uh, considerations and EBITDA maximization or, or failure to maximize EBITDA, and occasionally around revenue generation. Suffice to say, you can get into the deep end of the pool very quickly if you make bad acquisitions or if you're not connected to your numbers. Uh, and there's some things that you really need to be disciplined about as you start your growth journey. I'm going to try to unpack a little bit of that for you today. Um, like I said in the introduction, this will probably require you taking some notes. There will probably be some math involved with this, and I'm probably going to try to keep it at a very high level. I'm going to try to make this digestible and understandable because I do recognize that we're on a podcast. I will probably record some type of video to go along with this and hopefully better illustrate for all of you who want to view it at least some of how the numbers work together. But again, today I want to keep things at a high level um, based around this concept of, of what I term financial failure. So let's start at the very beginning. You have decided to build a group practice. And as I've said on prior episodes, probably 80 to 90% of, of the clients we work with and maybe even more than that in the wild blue yonder, decide to grow their business through acquisitions. Um, the thought being that if you acquire a practice, it's already an existing practice. It has patients, it has revenue, hopefully it has profitability. 
and and the theory is that the downside risk to buy that business is probably less than starting one from ground zero, cold, dark shell, and patient number one walks in the door. And I understand the psychology behind that doesn't always play out that way, but um, I do understand the mindset. So most people are growing their businesses uh, through acquisition uh, based growth strategy predominantly or exclusively. And the first thing that gets them into trouble is this valuation concept. Okay. And if you uh, listen to us talk about valuation for group practices or enterprise level valuation, um, taking a business to market and transacting it, you hear us talking about valuation from an EBITDA multiple concept. There's a ton in our prior episodes of the podcast that you can go back and listen to around EBITDA. But suffice to say, the EBITDA multiple basis of valuation is the metric that matters when transacting a group practice or when operating a group practice. So the first stumbling point for a lot of people is that they go to buy a practice and it may be a practice listed by a dental practice broker and they see that the practice is listed as a percentage of revenue or a percentage of collections. So how does percentage of collections or percentage of revenue relate to multiple of EBITDA? Well, the answer is not directly. You can't say that 100% of collections equals a five times EBITDA multiple, just like you can't say a 60% um, of revenue um, valuation equals a three times EBITDA multiple. They are not linear. They're really not even connected. There is a mathematical relationship, but you have to figure that out. And here's why it's incredibly important to figure that out. EBITDA is a calculation for normalized operational cash flow, normalized after doctor compensation in our world. And at the end of the day, all of us who are entrepreneurs are really interested in one thing, and that's free cash flow, because that's the only thing we can spend. At the, at the end of the day, that's what pays our bills. That's um, you know what funds our lifestyle. It's what keeps our business afloat. So cash is the one thing that you are truly interested in. And if you don't understand the way to calculate normalized cash flow or EBITDA, in, in a practice that you're potentially going to acquire, then you need to be dubious about the percentage of collections as the, the validation of the, the worth of the business. And the, the easiest way to illustrate this uh, is, is really with some numbers. And again, I know this is hard over a podcast, uh, and I'll try to keep this as simple as possible. But when you're looking at a practice to acquire, Let's just take a million dollars because it's a round number. So it's a million dollars in revenue. If it valued at 80% of revenue, which might be considered a normal valuation uh, uh, amount for a business generating a million dollars, it means that business would be listed for sale at $800,000, 80% of a million dollars in revenue. That's not hard to, uh, to calculate there. When you start looking at some of the cost structures of the business and you see what the overhead rate is uh, and then your doctor, um, uh, doctor compensation attributed to 
his or her um, total collections out of the business. You know, a, a million dollar practice might generate somewhere between 15 and 20% on an EBITDA margin standpoint. Yes, you should do a lot more than just napkin math and calculating that, but I'm trying to keep this at a high level. And typically what we see in most general dentistry solo practices is that EBITDA margins are the low teens to about 20%. So, you know, if we take a if we take an EBITDA margin of 16% on a million dollar revenue business, 16% of a million is $160,000. Pretty easy math there. And I said that valuation in this context of 80% of revenue was $800,000. Well, an $800,000 valuation of a business generating $160,000 in EBITDA is a five times EBITDA multiple. So it's not hard to do that math, just keeping numbers round and trying to understand uh, margins and, and percentage of collection valuation to determine the EBITDA multiple that you would end up paying, in this case, if it were an 80% of revenue valuation. But now that we've established the EBITDA multiple that we'd be willing to pay, here is the, the next piece that trips people up. When they figure out the EBITDA multiple or what they're willing to pay, there is some amount, if they do buy this business, there's some amount of taxes that they could potentially uh, have to pay each year of owning the business as potential income taxes. Uh, and there's certainly an amount of annual debt service to cover because all of our clients are what we call doctor founded and debt funded. And what that means is they're using bank funds to grow. So if you borrow $800,000 um, from your lender to buy this million-dollar revenue practice, you're going to count on probably about somewhere between $95,000 and $100,000 of annualized debt service. And I'm not going to get into things like asset allocation between hard assets and goodwill and the, the tax implication of both. And there are a lot of CPAs in the audience that are probably doing backflips right now. But again, trying to keep this as a podcast at a high level. There are a lot of calculations that go into buying a business. I'm just trying to keep things simple because the point I want to drive home to is that after you calculate the EBITDA coming out of a business and after you calculate the amount of annualized debt service and some amount in taxes, you're going to have a close approximation of something called free cash flow. And free cash flow is what is ultimately going to be left over for you or you and your partners to distribute out of the overall business that would be attributed to this location at least. And the reason that that calculation of free cash flow is so critically important is because when that free cash flow goes negative, if it goes negative based on debt service and or taxes, then this is the scenario where the bell cow practice or the existing group starts to fund the overpriced acquisition that can't support itself. And this is where our, we see a lot of clients get into a lot of trouble and it usually happens on, on their second location, meaning their first acquisition or potentially a second acquisition. Our core clients have typically built one to two locations that perform extremely well. 
um, from a, a clinical uh, capacity standpoint, from a cash flow standpoint, from a culture standpoint, all of those things are pluses. And then they go out and they miss on an acquisition. And when I say they miss, they potentially overpay or they don't get marginal improvement based on revenue generation or cost containment or a blend of both. And now the debt service that they've taken on when they overpaid for that practice and the amount of taxes they have to pay create negative free cash flow. Essentially, the, the primary location, the bell cow practice that is successful is now funding the practice that is not successful that was recently acquired. And that is a huge problem because it impacts the cash flow of the overall business. And you can't spend enough time modeling cash flows to get comfortable and confident in your ability to improve a business that you acquire and grow the cash flows out of all of them, not just the core business and not just um, the one that's most recently acquired, but everyone in between. So if you're struggling around building a group practice and you're committed to building through acquisitions, the first thing you really need to focus on and gain a, a firm, a better understanding is the relationship between multiple of EBITDA uh, and percentage of collections. That's the first thing. The second thing you need to be able to understand or calculate is a, a representation of what you project EBITDA to be, normalized cash flow, and how that relates to your debt service and potential tax liability, and thus equates to free cash flow, positive or negative. So there's the, there's the valuation piece to begin with, then there's how the valuation piece impacts free cash flow secondarily. And that, that right there is, if you, can, if you can remain positive on all of that and stay, keep your head above the water, you can survive. But if you're not sure what you're paying and you're not sure what EBITDA is coming out of the business and you can't calculate accurately free cash flow, then you're going to be in a lot of trouble and probably pretty quickly. So that's the first thing to keep in mind is how all of that relates to one another. Um, because we like to say at the end of the day, the bank is going to get paid. And Uncle Sam will too. You may not, but those two will. Uh, and it's important to, to have a firm understanding of that so that you don't get into trouble with it. The next thing I would tell you uh, that trips up a lot of people and creates uh, what I'll call financial failure uh, is something that I touched on in that uh, prior um, uh, dialogue, which is what I call lift. And, and when I say lift, I mean, you go to acquire a practice and you've done your analysis of it. You understand what you're going to pay. Uh, you understand what EBITDA is. Um, you're comfortable with everything that I, that I opened up with there. But none of us should ever buy a business to maintain a business. We should only buy a business to grow and improve a business. And when I say grow and improve, and I'm talking about the concept of what I call lift here, what I'm talking about specifically is revenue generation and cost containment. Um, we did a podcast 
a while back around something we call target acquisition profile. And target acquisition profile is just the discipline of looking at a business that you potentially want to acquire and quantifying what your improvements are going to be after you buy it. Um, and then evaluating, you know, did you get those improvements or not? Did you succeed or fail? And if you failed, why did you fail or why did they not materialize? So when we talk about revenue generation, there are a multitude of ways to generate revenue uh, out of a business. But when you look at a practice you're going to acquire and, and you have two or three or four areas of revenue generation, what are they? What do you think they're going to end up translating into in terms of dollars, dollar impact here? Um, and then on the cost containment side, where do you think you can take dollars out of the cost structure of the business? Again, two or three areas of focus and, and what do you quantify that impact to actually be? So now when we've bought a practice and it's been under our management for six months or a year, some period of time, we want to look back on what our initial projections were. Um, where did we get it right? And where did we miss? And if we missed, how much did we miss by? So did we not get the revenue generation that we were expecting um, uh, for one reason or another? Uh, did we not get the cost containment that we were expecting for one reason or another? Um, but how does all of that translate into bottom line EBITDA margin expansion. Uh, and that's where I'm talking about taking a general dentistry practice that might have an EBITDA margin in the low teens, like I mentioned before, and under a, a year's worth of your management uh, and leadership, now it might be in the high teens. You've gotten a revenue lift, you've gotten some cost containment, and now you're creating margin expansion and value creation. And that's what you're what's your task to do if you're going to buy a business. So once again, you never buy a business to maintain it. You only buy a business to improve it and you have to be able to quantify what your improvements are expected to be before you sign on the dotted line. And if you can do that, you're gonna create success. If you cannot do that, you are going to create failure. And that's the second failure uh, component that we see most often from people we talk to or clients we work with is that they've acquired a business and they might've acquired it for the right valuation multiple and methodology, but they haven't gotten any lift out of it. They haven't gotten any marginal improvement and they're just treading water. So that's the second piece um, that uh, creates financial failure for people in group practices. The third one is relying upon uh, a concept uh, called arbitrage. Um, and arbitrage can best be um, explained um, around EBITDA multiples. And specifically here, I'm talking about exit multiples. Okay. So you've heard us talk a lot about EBITDA multiples in, in our world. And you've, you've heard us talk about buying businesses for you know, buying a solo practice for three to five times EBITDA and then selling your business for eight times EBITDA or something like that. And the arbitrage, arbitrage is a concept on, in this case, around EBITDA multiples. And it's the difference between what you buy a business at versus what you exit a business at. So let's just say, keeping math really simple again here, 
that you're buying a solo practice at five times EBITDA and you turn around and sell your group a year later for eight times EBITDA. The arbitrage on that transaction is three times. You bought it for five, you sold your group for eight, arbitrage of three, all right? And, and that's the valuation methodologies in our world uh, that are based around a multiple of EBITDA are, are, are based around concepts based on the, the size of the business, in this case, a solo practice. And then upon your exit at 8X is an EBITDA volume, a dollar volume of EBITDA to generate that eight times of an exit. All right. So arbitrage is the difference between what you buy a business at and then what your um, uh, uh, business might fetch upon exit. Okay. And it's a, it's a very real phenomenon in our world. It's what makes group practices so valuable. And it's what drives the value of group practices above 100% of collections, quite candidly. Uh, and it's going to be that way for, for quite a while uh, in terms of uh, multiple arbitrage, as we like to say. So those who buy solo practices... Um, and and they may know uh, the uh, they they may understand the relationship between percentage of collections and multiple of EBITDA. They might understand free cash flow. So the the first part that I mentioned, put a check in that box. They're all good on that. Um, the second box that was the uh, getting a lift out of the business in terms of revenue generation and cost containment. Let's say that you can also check that box. So you know what you're paying and you know how you're improving it. And you're you're on the road to uh, creating financial success. That being said, you might not create quite the level of lift that you had intended, and you might have paid slightly more than what you should have upon acquisition. So it's a little bit tighter here. And then when we talk about the arbitrage you hope to gain at the deal table. This is the third piece that tends to trip people up and potentially create financial failure for people in group practices. And it looks something like the following. Let's say you buy a business at five times EBITDA and you improve that business by one turn, meaning you dollar cost average down to about four times EBITDA. You get some revenue generation and some cost containment. And now the uh, you've been able to create uh, EBITDA expansion. So now the, the multiple drops from five to four, essentially, for what you paid for it after you make your improvements. And now we're going to go to sell our business at a seven times EBITDA multiple. So a seven times EBITDA multiple against a 4X uh, comparable is still three turns of arbitrage. Looks pretty good, right? I mean, that would be uh, uh, pretty pretty advantageous situation to be in. However, a lot of our clients want to engage in something uh, at a transaction level called an equity role, meaning they are looking to roll some amount of the purchase price when they sell their business, looking to roll some amount of equity into the new parent company, be part of the bigger business, own a piece of that business, and go forward for something called the second bite of the apple. You've heard us talk about that before on the podcast. And this is a really valuable um, consideration at the deal table 
if you want to uh, roll equity into a bigger company and hopefully get a, a substantial return on that. So it can be a very, very good strategy. That being said, let's say you're transacting your business at a seven times EBITDA multiple and you want to roll somewhere between 20 and 40% into the new company. We'll just use 30 because it's right in the middle. So a 30% roll on a seven times multiple is 2.1 times. And if you subtract that 2.1 off the seven times multiple that, you, that you're at at the deal table, you're at 4.9. And now we were just saying that even with the one turn of improvement, we had dollar cost average down to about four times. So now we're getting razor thin. Well, we're getting razor thin on the value creation that we thought we had achieved. But at the transaction deal table, you have to remember that you've got to pay off the bank and you're going to have to pay Uncle Sam some amount in taxes. And it's a very real possibility when you look to transact your business, if you desire to roll equity, that the amount you roll in equity could wipe out or even create a negative consequence of the amount you have to pay to the bank to satisfy your existing debt and pay to Uncle Sam in terms of taxes. And this is a scenario where you don't want to take the risk to build a multiple uh, location business, um, suffer all the sleepless nights, make all the debt payments, uh, everything else you go through to get to the deal table to end up with zero cash in the bank or God forbid, have to take cash out of the bank, out of your checking account, your banking account to pay off debt or taxes. And that is a scenario that happens frequently. People don't understand the impact at a deal table if they want to roll equity versus what's going to be um, their obligations in taxes and certainly paying off the remaining balance of debt and ending up with literally zero dollars in their pocket to show for it. Now, again, there are a lot of tax consequences here. There's um, all of our CPA friends that are in the audience are once again probably doing backflips because it's a lot harder to calculate than the simple scenario that I just laid out. But I'm trying to position this conceptually at a high level. And this is something that obviously with our clients and the sell side advisory side of our business, we spend a lot of time trying to model tax implications as well as understanding um, uh, the, the debt payoff component piece of it. You've got advisor fees and a lot of other things in there as well. So it's, it's not as just simple as napkin math here. And the other thing can, that could be said is there very well may be a compelling reason to roll a lot of equity with the buyer. You may be playing with house money at that point and you may turn $1 into $5 in a relatively short period of time. So there, the equity roll piece could be the right thing to do for the right reasons at this point in time. But the, you really need to understand how the equity roll piece impacts the net cash left over for you and evaluate that with clarity to understand was the entire journey worth your while to do it? And, and that can be a complicated conversation and candidly a difficult question to answer. So between those three aspects, 
which is the, the links between percentage of collections and EBITDA multiple evaluation versus free cash flow. And then what I call the lift in a business that you're able to generate or not generate out of uh, cost containment and revenue generation. And then what uh, EBITDA multiple arbitrage looks like at the deal table. These are the three big things that create a lot of financial failure in early stage group practices. And if you can get clarity around those three and solve for them accurately and have a fundamental understanding of them, I'm really confident you can head them off at the pass. And I hope that really gives you something to think about as you're pursuing your growth strategy, especially if it's around acquisitions. Obviously, we spend a lot of time in these three areas of subject matter, amongst many others, in our consulting program with our clients. If you'd like to learn more about that, I'm happy to, to spend some time with you on a one-on-one -on -one call or, um, or at some point in the future. Um, but these are, are, are things that are really fundamental to making sure you don't have any stumbles like at an early stage of, of building your group. And if you can avoid them, I'm confident you can create a lot of success. Obviously, it's what we do um, with our clients, hopefully, and uh, execute at a high level. I'd be happy to help you as well. So hopefully you got something out of that today. And again, I think um, we'll probably end up with some type of a video sort of tutorial about this where I can add a little bit more numbers to it, make it a little bit easier for you to follow. But I certainly um, appreciate you following along today. So if you do find that um, educational informative, uh, like I say, feel free to drop me a line. You can always send me a question or a comment directly to perrin at polarishealthcarepartners.com. Stick around. We'll be right back with some additional thoughts and to wrap up the show. So that was a lot of fun. I hope uh, y'all got something out of it. I hope it was uh, educational and I hope it wasn't too terribly hard to follow over podcast. I know that numbers are, are difficult um, when we when we talk about them and we, we can't show them on a screen necessarily. And that's why I tried to, to keep it at a high level. But hopefully there was a lot of meat there for you to digest and um, hopefully you got a lot out of that. Um, we do get questions and comments and feedback from the the audience a, a good bit. I, I always love that. I mean, I never know how some of this uh, information really lands with people in the audience. And, and I, I'm always eager to get uh, compliments, as you would expect. But I'm also um, thrilled when I get questions from people around subject matter that we can kind of dig into. And, and one question we got recently uh, was <laughs> from a, a, a friend of mine, I'll say, uh, named David Wurzbacher. Some of y'all may know David. His name may ring a bell. David is um, the former CFO and, and current president of Lightwave Dental out of Virginia. They are a private equity-backed regional DSO in uh, uh, Virginia and the Carolinas and have really created a tremendous business over the last four or five years. We've known David for a good little while now, and um, he's probably forgotten more in the world of finance than I'll ever know. Um, really a sharp guy and a, and a good guy to boot. They built a, a, a wonderful business that continues to grow and, and kind of amaze us. So David sent me a text recently um, uh, about one of the most recent episodes we did. And it was probably around, it was one of those around mergers or mergers and acquisitions. Um, 
and and his comment was, you know, I listened to the podcast on mergers today. It was different than I expected, but good. Well, thanks, Dave. I appreciate the compliment there for sure. I was expecting it to be more about chart acquisitions, but I've which I've been wanting to get serious about. Those might be the most accretive opportunity in dental right now. And you know, for one, I think the fact that a guy like David Wurzbacher, who's the president of Lightwave, is listening to some nitwit on a podcast like me and taking guidance from that is is really, frankly, kind of alarming. I'll say, you know, there there is no reason that he should be listening to our podcast. I'm really glad to have him in the audience. Don't don't get me wrong. Maybe we'll have him as a guest on the show sometime, and um, uh, I can banter back and forth with him. But I think David brings up a a really good point and one that we did not. Uh, address at all in that mergers and acquisitions kind of series of podcasts. And that's why I want to spend a little bit of time on it today. And what he's talking about um, are are essentially chart mergers, and they take on a couple of different forms. But you've got a lot of dental practices that are out there. And these are usually owned uh, by senior dentists um, uh, who, you know, the business may be slightly in decline or it it may be um, in a less than advantageous location, or the equipment could be really old, or it might not have very much uh, in, in terms of technology and in, in the business and everything like that. And, and these types of practices um, are not attractive, I'll say, to younger, um, young associate type buyers, you know, because they look at the practice and they say, well, if I buy it, I'm going to have to immediately turn around and put a lot of capex into it to get it up to snuff, you know. And then what am I really buying at that point? And, and so it's a little bit of a challenge for these senior dentists to monetize any aspect of the business if there's not a buyer for that business. And the merger concept, where you may have a successful uh, practice that has a couple of these um, you know, uh, practices with no exit potential in and around your general area, it may be a good opportunity to uh, get to know those senior dentists and talk about possibly acquiring their charts and records. A- and that can take on a couple of different shapes and sizes. We get into, you know, well, what should you pay for a chart and how do you evaluate it? and all that kind of stuff. And there are a number of different methodologies. It could involve um, the senior dentist um, uh, who's looking to transition out. It it could involve him or her working with you for six to 12 months to transition the patient uh, base and the goodwill into your practice so that you may have to kind of tuck them in and, and find a home for them for a little while. He or she may bring with uh, them, some of their staff as well. It could be that you're just going to, uh, that you don't have capacity to, to bring them in as another provider. So you're just going to outright pay some dollar amount per uh, chart um, and, and have that be it. And the, in this case, the seller, the senior dentist is about to retire, sends a, a letter to his or her patient base and um, talks about the transition to your practice uh, or it could be something where in a really disadvantageous situation, um, you know, they may send out a, a letter to their patient base, encouraging them to see, uh, to begin seeing you as their uh, provider of record. 
And then for every uh, patient that does come into your practice, you agree to pay them some dollar amount per head or something along those lines. So there are a bunch of different ways to structure this, but I, I think David's point is really accurate that, you know, if you can work out some number of uh, essentially mergers, uh, chart mergers into your group or your, your practice, you get an immediate revenue bump for sure. But we've talked about the, the beauty of a dental practice from a fixed cost and a variable cost standpoint. And I think David's point here is that not only is it a nice revenue bump, but it's immediately accretive to EBITDA and, and really pays a lot of uh, dividends at the bottom line for sure. And I think he's right on that. And, and this is a scenario where, let's face it, there are a lot of senior dentists um, that, are, uh, that haven't made reinvestments in their, their business over the last handful of years. Um, and they may not have a business that's truly sellable uh, or put another way, it may not be a business that's truly worth buying. And if that's the case, it would be nice for them to get some amount of, you know, pennies on the dollar, dimes on the dollar for their charts and records on a successful merger. My personal dentist actually did this. Uh, it's probably been about eight or 10 years ago, six or eight years ago, something like that. And it, it has been very successful in his practice. Uh, and if you think about doing that over multiple locations with multiple merger opportunities over multiple years, this could be one of those um, uh, untapped little uh, opportunities that, that could provide a nice amount of lift uh, for a growing group practice. So I, thanks, Dave, for being a, a subscriber for sure and for sending in that comment. Um, it's a it's a really, really good thought. And now that I've shared it with all the millions of people in our audience, Dave's probably going to be pretty PO'd that I would uh, create such competition for him. But there you have it. You know, that's the way we build a show off of quality content. So appreciate you being in the audience, my friend. Good to hear from you as always. Well, I hope you all had a good time on the podcast today. Uh, we covered a lot of meat, a lot of ground um, that can be complicated, um, but I, I hope you're able to follow it fairly logically. I did my best to lay it out for you. If you are enjoying the podcast, please, much like David, send us a, a comment. Uh, we'd love to hear from you or even a question. And if you like what you're hearing, I obviously hope that you'll leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else where you get your podcasts. We read them all and we appreciate every single one of them. Uh, and of course, if you want to find out more about what all we do and who all who we are here at Polaris, you can find out more on our website at www.polarishealthcarepartners.com. Thanks so much for being a subscriber and a listener. We will see you on the next episode.